Hello? Here we are. God is closer than we think. That could be good news, or it could be maybe not so good news, depending on your image of God and your understanding of relationships. Have you noticed how challenging it is to maintain close relationships? I mean, all of us at some level are, I mean, we're kind of prickly, aren't we? I mean, uh, once you really get to know us, once we get beyond the persona of our nice person, uh, you know, we have warts, we have faults, uh, we have compulsions, uh, we have problems. And so sometimes when we are in a closer relationship, we're kind of like two porcupines, you know, we're just prickling each other. And it's challenging and sometimes difficult. In, in fact, it's, it's so universal that um, many people have commented, especially in terms of marriage, on how difficult uh, relationships, close relationships are and how difficult it is to maintain those. And some of them are comedians and some are just normal people observing. But here's a few. Uh, the best way to get most husbands to do something is to suggest that maybe they're too old to do it. What's the difference between a boyfriend and a husband? About 30 pounds. This is from the old comedian Jack Benny. Some of you may remember him. My wife Mary and I have been married for 47 years, and not once have we had an argument serious enough to consider divorce. Murder, yes. Divorce, never. A woman was saying this. I think men who have a pierced ear are better prepared for marriage. They've experienced pain, and they've bought jewelry. Uh, Oprah Winfrey. Mr. Wright is coming, but he's in Africa, and he's walking. That's pretty funny. One more. Some mornings I wake up grouchy, and some mornings I just let him sleep. Now a couple go more positive. This is from poet Ogden Nash. To keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup, whenever you're wrong, admit it. Whenever you're right, shut up. A good marriage is one where each partner secretly suspects that they got the better deal. God is closer than we think, and we actually got the better deal. We have an unbelievable deal that this God who is bigger and better than we could ever imagine is also closer than we think, and that's actually really good news. But it's because of the nature of our understanding of relationships, as some of these quotes displayed, we're unsure about closeness to God. And even in some of our translations of the most familiar parts of our Bible, it, it leaks through. For instance, in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. Now that doesn't really sound like a God who's close. Heaven is up there somewhere, and I'm on earth. So it almost sounds like that God is far away. But the actual phrase there is 
Our Father in the heavens. It's plural. Almost every time you see kingdom of heaven or our Father in heaven, it's plural. Because the Jewish people understood heaven as having three layers. And the bottom layer goes right down to our toes. So when Jesus prayed, our Father who art in heaven, he was really praying, our Father who is near. He's right here. I'm breathing the air of God. God is that close. So this morning I want to look at three biblical images for the closeness of God. So let's pray before we begin. This is a paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer. Dear Father, always near us, may your name be treasured in love. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done here on earth in just the way it is done in heaven. Give us today the things we need today. Forgive us our sins and and our impositions on you as we are forgiven all who in any way offend us. Please don't put us through trials, but deliver us from everything bad, because you are the one in charge, and you have all the power, and the glory too is all yours forever, which is just the way we want it. Amen. The first image is the potter and the clay. It's an image of God's forming and transforming work. In Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6, Jeremiah is writing, This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot shaping it as seemed best to him. A few things I want us to notice in this little passage. The first, the potter is working. The potter is active. God is working in our lives. He's shaping and forming lovingly, carefully. Every day, every moment, God is active. In our lives. And why is this important? Well, it goes on to say, because the clay is marred. The clay is marred. This clay is marred. It's marred by my own mistakes and failures and sin. It's marred by the mistakes and sins and failures of others. I'm marred. And so... The potter is making something new from this marred clay, as it seems best to him. This is what we call redemption. God is taking that which was marred and messed up, disfigured, and making something beautiful out of it. God loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. So he's shaping and forming us into something new and beautiful 
and wonderful. Regardless of where we've been, regardless of our weaknesses, our deficits, the family we're from, the mistakes we've made, right in the here and now, God is starting and has been working. But every day can be a new, fresh start with God shaping and forming because of his love, his forgiveness, his grace. And as we think about that, I want to show you a quick video about a potter and a clay and the clay. So just have a look. God told Jeremiah, up on your feet, go to the potter's house. And when you get there, I'll tell you what I have to say. The potter was there, working away at his will. The potter has an image of what he wants each of us to be. It's an image known only to him. It's an image that his hands come and form and fashion each one of us into a unique creation. Then God's message came to me. Can't I do just as this potter does? Sometimes in life, life gets spinning very quickly. Our busyness, our drivenness, our efforts to perform and produce, a broken relationship, the shattered dreams, a divorce. It moves out of control. But the question we really have to wrestle with is, can we trust the potter's heart? Can we trust the potter's mind to mold and to break each one of us? When the potter's hands come, it is the deep love of God coming to form us, to mold us, to fashion us into something new. Isn't it amazing that the potter sits there and loves this marred clay? Isn't it astounding that the potter is willing to come back to us time and time again when we're broken, when we've messed up, and form something new out of us. The potter is so faithful, and the potter is so loving, and the potter is so wise. He sees such great art in each one of us. Can we trust the potter's hand? Can we trust the potter's heart to make each of us into the vessel, into the pot that the potter envisions? We hold the Spirit of God in us. And then God's Spirit flows right back out of us.
into us deeply and out to others boldly. We are in the potter's hand. And as you saw, at times, there's firmness, there's reconfiguration, there's strength that comes from the potter. It almost feels like we're being ruined, that we're being wrecked. But then, something new begins to develop, and with gentleness, and care, and love, and art, the potter brings something new, creates something new. That's God's work each day in our lives as we are in His hand. He is making us and forming us and shaping us in a very intimate way. Did you notice how intimate, how close the potter and the clay were? At the end of the first service, uh, someone who was familiar with uh, pottery said that when that when the potter is shaping the clay, part the oil from the potter's skin gets into the clay, into the pot. So there's actually part of the potter that's in everything that they make. It's just beautiful. God has made you. He is in you. Part of God is in you because he is forming you and shaping you. God is actively close to you. The second image is uh, of this God who is bigger and better and than we could ever imagine it, that's closer than we can think is in this word Shekinah, Shekinah glory. I don't know if you've heard that word, but it's, it's this, the cloud of glory that was over the tabernacle when the Israelites were in the wilderness and that Moses would enter into at times and speak to God in this cloud of glory that everyone else was freaking out about. And it was the cloud of glory, the Shekinah, descended upon the temple when Solomon built the temple. It was this glorious presence of God. And it actually, the word simply means dwelling place. So first it was the tabernacle and then the temple where God's glorious presence would dwell. And then when the Babylonians destroyed the temple, or just before that, the people's idolatry had caused the glory, the Shekinah glory, to leave the temple. Then the temple was destroyed, then it was rebuilt by Zerubbabel. <laughs> uh, and then Herod the Great, in Jesus' time, refurbished, remodeled, made it actually twice as big, put golden plates on the front, all over the front of the temple. They said that when the sun hit that gold, it was blinding. It was so beautiful. Herod made the temple more extravagant, more lavish, more uh, larger than it had ever been before. And yet still, the Shekinah glory didn't return. It was promised but for 600 years, the Israelites had been waiting for the glory to return, for God to dwell among them again. 
And then in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. Jesus was the new Shekinah. And as John wrote a few verses later, we beheld his glory. The glory had returned in the person of Jesus. And then Jesus lived and died and rose again and ascended. And then in the person of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, the Shekinah came back again. The tongues of fire over every believer. The Spirit now, the Shekinah glory of, the God, of God. And then finally, Paul writes, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? We now are the tabernacle. We now are the temple. And the God's Shekinah glory is in us. That's how close God is. At one point, God only inhabited, only dwelt in the tabernacle or in the temple. That's where his glory resided. Now it resides in each one of us. In fact, Paul goes on to write in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7, light will shine out of darkness. And God made his light shine in our hearts, catch this, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure, God's glory, that's the treasure, in jars of clay. Marred clay, broken pots, broken vessels that contain the Shekinah glory of God. That's how close God is to each one of us. It's incredible. You may have on, a, on your travels or vacationing have run across uh, some modest little house. And on, by the house, it, there's a sign, and it may have said something like, George Washington lived here, or Abraham Lincoln lived here, or Thomas Edison lived here. And it, you're struck by the greatness of the person and the smallness and insignificance of the dwelling. Well, that's what Paul was saying. We have this incredible treasure in jars of clay. We're very modest. We're humble. We're not really all that significant. But the person who lives in us is greater and better and closer than we can ever imagine. The Shekinah glory of God is in this broken so God is actively close, he's spaciously clo spatially close, he's in us, we are his dwelling place. But he also wants to be relationally close. You can be active with someone and be close in that way. You can be in close proximity to someone physically. But you don't that doesn't necessarily mean you're relationally close. And God wants that relational closeness. And so, from the very beginning, 
God calls his people friends. In fact, Gregory of Nyssa, 4th century church father, simply said that God is friendship. God is friendship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this loving community of friendship from all of eternity into all of eternity. And God wants more friends. He's drawing us all into relational closeness to be his friend. It started with Abraham. Three times he's called the friend of God. Finally, James, in, his, in the second chapter of his epistle, simply said, Abraham was called the friend of God. That was, became his identity. And you say, well, yeah, I, I get that with Abraham. I mean, after all, he was a patriarch. He was kind of a special category. He top shelf kind of a person, all-star, Bible, right, Hall of Fame, all of this. But I don't see myself in that category. But you know what? Abraham was also a liar, <laughs> a coward. He laughed in God's face when he heard God's promise. Abraham's sounding more and more like me all the time. So it, it doesn't require anything special to be called God's friend, except to respond to the invitation. Moses, another case, Exodus 33, 11 says that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. See, when you think about friendship, you can also think about prayer, because whatever makes for a good friendship makes for good prayer. But think about what makes for good friendship. Well, we're, we're in communication on a regular basis. We spend time together. We're interested in what the other is interested in. Think about that in terms of your relationship with God. Are you interested in what God is interested in? Because he's, he's interested in you. <laughs> he's interested in what makes you tick, in what gives you life and passion and he's interested in what hurts you as well. Because he's a friend. He's a friend. Finally, Jesus in John 15 says, there's, greater, there's no greater love than one to lay down his life for his friends. And I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Jesus now calls us, his disciples, friends. No longer servants, no longer people that have to perform and work hard, but friends. There's an icon from the 6th century, um, a drawing that of Jesus, it's called Jesus and his friends. And I love this icon because you see that Jesus on the right has his hand on his friend's shoulder close, caring, touching, connected. But you notice also that there's space between them. There's space for movement. The friend can move toward Jesus. Jesus can move toward the friend. It's not static. It, it's dynamic. You might also notice that Jesus has a real skinny arm there. 
he hadn't been working out. I'm not sure what the iconographer was trying to communicate, but what it communicates to me is that, that there's no coercion here. Jesus is, is allowing his friend to be the one in charge of how close they are. Jesus wants to be as close as possible, but Jesus doesn't force it on anyone. He doesn't pull and make you close. He allows us to move toward him in our time, in our season. So you may ask, well, how do I move more into this closeness with God? Since it's something that's real, it's there. I am in God's hand. I'm the clay. He's the potter. I'm the vessel. He's the treasure, the Shekinah of spirit, and Jesus are in me. I'm the dwelling place of God. The closeness is there. He's called me his friend. We're in relationship. So how do I enjoy this closeness? How do I experience it? Well, just a couple of things I would suggest. One is an old practice that's simply called examine. Kind of like examination, but just shorten that, examine. And all examine is is... You could think of it as, you know how you rummage through your closet when you're looking for something? Well, the examine is rummaging through your day, your past day, looking for God. Rummaging for God. Where was God speaking in the past 24 hours? Where was God at work? Where was God loving me? Where was God drawing me? Because a lot of times in the first, first time through, we miss it, don't we? God was doing something amazing. And I was too busy, you know, with my work. Or I was caught up in sports talk as I was driving along. I, I didn't, it just blew right by me. So the examine is a way of reviewing the day, rewinding the day, looking for God's grace and love and movement and action in my life? How was he shaping and forming me the last day? I'd, I'd, I'd commend that practice to you. Very simple. The second is simply to live in the present moment. Because God is only in the present. If we get pulled out of the present by our anxiety and worry and concern for the future, it's going to be difficult to be close to God because God is in the present. If I'm living in the future, my thoughts and ideas and preoccupations are in the future, I'm going to miss what's going on in the here and the now. And therefore, I'm going to miss God. By the same token, if I'm caught up in regret and guilt in the past and I'm, I can't let go of things, I'm going to miss God. Because God is in the here and now. There's a, a woman, Helen Malakote, that wrote this poem that I think sums it up really well in terms of living in this moment. Putting our devices down, getting away from the screens, simply being in the moment with God. She said, I was regretting the past and fearing the future. Suddenly my Lord was speaking. 
My name is I Am. He paused, I waited, he continued. When you live in the past with its mistakes and regrets, it is hard. I am not there. My name is not I was. When you live in the future with its problems and fears, it is hard. I'm not there. My name is not I will be. But when you live in this moment, it is not hard. I am here. My name is I am. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you that you love us so much that you've taken us into your hand as clay to mold and to shape for your loving purposes, for our good. Thank you that you have chosen to dwell in all of your glory, to dwell within us, that you've made us your dwelling place. And thank you, Lord, that you call us your friends, no longer just servants, but friends, that you want relational closeness. You want deep and honest conversation. You want to walk with us. You want to do life with us. You want to be close. Lord, thank you for Susie. We pray that she is experiencing your closeness on her sabbatical. That she is experiencing your loving, forming, shaping, renewing hand in her life. Lord, we thank you for being close, for calling us friends. Open our hearts, our minds, our bodies to you, that we would know by experience how close you truly are. In Jesus' name, amen.